Quiet, please, madam. I need you to do as I say. This could be a potential crime scene. Why are you calling me madam? Because you're a woman. Am I? Does it suit me? What? Oh, yeah. I remember. Sorry. Half an hour ago, I was a white-haired Scotsman. When's the next train due? Hello and welcome to Trap One. I'm Conrad. I'm US Jason, usually from Brooklyn, but today I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm Mark. And I'm Pete. And today we're reviewing the BBC Centenary Special and 13th Doctor's final story, The Power of the Doctor. Now, we're recording this on Tuesday, the 25th of October, and earlier today, some major news broke, which brings with it some fairly significant cultural shifts in the world of Doctor Who. Um, In the last few hours, Character Options announced they are re-releasing the action figure of the 2005 disco dancing Rose. Incredible scenes. More on that at 11. Now, before we get into our review, um, I just want to ask you guys, because we'll probably get into it quite soon, because there's a lot to do. Jason, you're in the US, and they didn't do a simulcast. How was that for you? So back in April for Legend of the Sea Devils, BBC America did a simulcast. Well, they say simulcast, but because BBC America does commercials and also edits for content and time, It was not quite a simulcast, but it started airing in the U.S. at the exact same time that it aired in the U.K. This gets around the problem of certain U.K.-based guest artists spoiling the story the second that the BBC airing begins, five hours before we see it in the States. Uh, Looking at you, Mr. Fugitive of the Jadoon guest star. So... That's a great idea, simulcast so that I see it when you guys see it, and I don't have to spend five hours on a total social media blackout. In this day and age, good luck staying away from your phone for five hours. And then, of course, BBC sends out a mass email at 4.20 as soon as the episode ends. Your new doctor is! And, of course, that's four hours before we get it in the States. This time, BBC America, which I believe is done with Doctor Who and is ready to be gone for all time, and today's news proves that, they did not do a simulcast. They only aired it at 8 o'clock, which is a five-hour delay. Now, I'm not naming names, but there are other means of watching Doctor Who in the States that do not involve waiting for a time-delayed and edited and with commercials BBC America airing. And uh, there are ways that I was able to watch the episode so that I was done before the 8 p.m. U.S. airing. So I managed to not get spoiled in advance. And I consider myself very lucky and fortunate that I wasn't spoiled. Well done. Very well yeah. done. Mark, now you're, you, I've known you for quite a little while. And you're like one of the most laid back people I know. But <laughs> before the episode, a couple of days leading up to it, you know, with a few trailers and, and stuff coming out. Like, I don't think I've seen you this excited since Anna de Armas was kickboxing in an evening dress in No Time to Die. <laughs> <laughs> you were pretty amped for this, I think. I was really excited, yeah. I think when we talked about The Legend of the Sea Devils uh, and you were excited because this, The Sea Devils was your earliest thing, earliest memory in your life was that yeah. right not yeah. just earliest doctor memory whereas yeah when i was eight and the first time i watched doctor who was uh, ace in the happiness patrol so this was that direct line right back to my childhood to that childhood excitement of waiting every week for doctor who so yeah i was, I was super excited and uh, unforgivably wished my weekend away really to get to 7 30 on sunday night I'm sure your wife was delighted um <laughs> pete pete now we like we had the same day pretty much didn't we 
somehow I ended up at a Pizza Express in London, which mm-hmm. turned out to not be a typical Pizza Express. It was much bigger on the inside than the outside. And it had a basement with a jazz club with Bonnie Langford performing 50 of her hits from her 50 years of showbiz, uh, interspersed with anecdotes and tales and hints that we really might want to be watching BBC One tonight, nudge, nudge, uh, from <laughs> her while we were having a Pizza Express Sunday lunch. So that was an unusual way to see out an era. But yeah, kind of fitting. We got there a bit early, so we just thought, well, let's go early and get a good seat. And like, Pete went in first and just came and said, I, said, I think they're sound checking. And, uh, yeah. and we were, yeah. they were, yeah, they were laying the tables while Bonnie Langford was stood there. But Bonnie Langford, talk about professional. She's doing about three or four gigs in this, and it is actually a very reputable, very um, salubrious venue uh, for, for jazz and, 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 and such like, and, and musical people do intimate gigs there. She's doing several nights in a row, and she, she, they squeezed in an extra matinee one on this Sunday, and she still turned up for an extra rehearsal for it. What a trooper. No wonder she, no wonder she came when she got the call uh, for uh, for Doctor Who. Yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. amazing. Yeah, she can still do the splits. I tell you that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, singing, I get a kick out of you while getting on the piano doing high kicks. It was <laughs> it was an experience. But um, this is quite a big beast to tackle, um, and there's all sorts of stuff to go through. So I think we're going to get straight into it. We've got our spacesuits on, and so I think we're just going to leap aboard a speeding bullet train, and off we go. Ladies and gentlemen. Although the fastened seatbelt sign is now off, we suggest that you keep your seatbelt fastened when seated. If necessary, you may move about the cabin. Smoking is now permitted. Have your seat in designation and smoking. It was like a James Bond pre-title sequence, I thought, wasn't it? Before yeah. before the titles, this huge um almost the you know the way James Bond it's a part of an adventure or the tail end of an adventure, so they they've already answered the distress call straight into it, loads of action shooting drama i hadn't really thought about dan to be honest in it all in all the excitement <laughs> of knowing ace and tegan were in it and it was a regeneration story and the master and simon mm-hmm. i i hadn't given a lot of thought but I, i'd assumed that his out was his relationship with die back into modern day liverpool and and, and that'll be him leaving but no i hadn't expected to be so early in the episode i had done a doctor who literature recording with daniel knight who's a friend of the trap one podcast the day before And again, there's a difference between rumors and spoilers. Most of the rumors turned out to be true, but I don't consider those spoilers. I was disappointed when all the rumors became true, but they weren't spoilers. Dan had said, and I think he thought these were more spoilers than rumors. He had said that Dan was going to be killed in the opening minutes and that Kate Stewart was going to be killed later on. And I'm glad I said at the time, you can listen to the Doctor Who literature episode number 48, dropped earlier the same morning as uh, The Power of the Doctor. I said I would be disappointed if both of those things happened, and I'm glad that neither one did. I thought the opening was tremendously exciting. It was a really gripping way. It was only a seven-minute cold open, but it seemed like it went on for a lot longer. That's how well-made it was. The problem is, and this is more on me, I think, than on the production team, when they open up the cargo hold in the train, and they reveal the young girl in there, I thought that was the same actress who had played the timeless child during series 12. And I thought, wait a minute, the Cybermen have gone back in time, and they've captured the timeless child, the original Doctor that we know about from that other universe, and they're going to have the Doctor's entire timeline now held hostage, because if they kill the timeless child, everything else goes away. 
I thought that was an amazing twist. I thought it would have been an incredible setup for an episode. But no, it wasn't the Timeless Child. She was a Korunx. And I spent the next 10 minutes, wait a minute, that's it? That's the revelation? The Doctor is a Korunx? Like, the movie Highlander is widely considered the greatest science fiction movie ever made, and they're all immortals with Scottish accents. In the movie Highlander 2 The Quickening, the sequel, they're not immortals, they're aliens from the planet Zeist. So I thought this was Doctor Who's Highlander 2 moment. Wait a minute, the Doctor's an alien from the planet Korunx? What? Fortunately, the Doctor was not a Korunx, and that actress was a misdirection. She was not, in fact, a timeless child. So I thought this was the greatest ending to a cold open since ever, but no, not at all. It was just a Korunx, which, what's a Korunx? So... That was a bit of a letdown in retro. The The first seven minutes were great, but that revelation was a letdown because of where I thought it was going versus where it actually ended up going. And then it's straight off to Siberia in 1916. Tom Baker was notoriously cast in Doctor Who because of his performance, I think, as uh, Rasputin and Nicholas and Alexandra. So having the master play Rasputin in an anniversary episode is a great idea because we have a previous doctor who was very famously Rasputin. I thought that was terrific. I thought having Nicholas and Alexandra and talking about the Tsar and the curse of the hemophilia, I thought that was really a terrific setup. But as with so many other Stephen Moffat finales, the setup is great, and then the execution ignores the setup entirely. So we'll get into that. So, so far we have a couple of great set pieces. The bullet train, Siberia, and very little of it plays into the rest of the episode. I, I just got excited when Siberia was mentioned, because I was like, obviously the capital of Siberia is Novosibirsk, which is where a certain story from the previous season was set uh, when Earth had been renamed Orphan 55. So uh, obviously this was going to tie up that arc, but uh, no, it wasn't. But they did use Ace's ladder, which is a nice little nod. And speaking of Ace, we're off to London 2022. Mark, how was it? Reunited after 33 years. It was very exciting. And and sort of seeing her in the the same sort of business suit that she was in in the season 26 trailer, but with the the Doc Martin boots underneath was was a good sort of uh, a character nod in her costume. I was surprised we were presented with her as though the audience was expected to to recognize her, which obviously all right-minded people would, but I, I was surprised that we didn't meet her and Tegan, I guess, through the Doctor and Yaz's eyes. It was uh, She was there presented as, uh, well, I mean, she is a returning character, but after quite a long gap, I suppose. Uh, so yeah, so that, that, that was quite surprising. But yeah, fantastic that she is now a unit agent, presumably as well as running the international charity organization that she uh, that she does as well um i felt like we did we learn we learn that she left the doctor after a fallout but we we don't obviously find out the details of that but we can we can extrapolate that it's something to do with the doctor's manipulation uh, i suppose from you know, stories like the curse of fenric and survival where he manipulates her a little bit so that, that was a sort of tantalizing little thing but then there's very little else filled in whereas tegan gets a little bit of a monologue about what she's been doing in the meantime with ace we don't really learn but there are nice little hints i think when she's about to jump off the building and she says something like, i used to be fine with heights and we immediately made me thought about the ladder bit in the curse of fenric when she's up on the church roof and the, the she's being chased and everything like that so 
felt like and and the you know the baseball bat obviously and then when she gets the jacket out and all that kind of stuff was uh was brilliant i hope that unit have got a hatch for every former companion of the doctor in case they happen to be coming by <laughs> they've, like, they've got all of all of perry's hot pants in one <laughs> and uh, uh, and uh, barbara's jumpers in another and uh, never get them mixed up some school uniforms for turler and that <laughs> yes and then ace is on the phone to tegan pretty quickly now this for me this was my buzz moment because yeah because because i mean ace has, has kind of never gone away the you know she went straight into the books then straight into the audios and she was in death come to time and dimensions in time and the you've really obviously it's it, it uh, but um but having Tegan back for the first, I mean, it's the first act, TV acting that Janet Fielding's done for over 30 years. Uh, and, um, and on the, on, on the call, I've seen some people say she seemed a little bit, a, a little bit shaky on the call, but that could be just her in character being nervous about talking to Ace. But as soon as she gets in with everyone else, the, the and, and she's doing TV acting surrounded by other people, I think it just really clicked. And it was, for me, it's, it was, that was the, the biggest nostalgia hit of the whole thing, having Tegan back. Because, I mean, she's, she has latterly come back to Big Finish, uh, but that's still a, a, a huge gap that's not really been uh, kept kept ticking over in, well, in the way that um, some some others have been. So, yeah, that, that was a, a massive thrill for me. And that she's, they kept her sassy and talking peevishly at the doctor she's yeah. still she's still lucy from peanuts uh, <laughs> which uh, which which yeah i was really happy about the way that was handled and yes yeah, of course she's had a couple of divorces it's tegan who, who would have who, that, that seems entirely natural i suppose her first scene was probably green screen on her own as well so it probably is uh, a little bit less natural isn't it than uh, yeah. than scenes with other actors in the books um in the past Doctor Adventures by Keith Topping, it was established that one of Tegan's ex-husbands is Johnny Chess, the famous musician who is the son of Ian and Barbara. So there, a lot of books were decanonized in this episode, but there is still a lane for uh, Tegan to still be the ex-wife of uh, Ian and Barbara's son, John. The other point that annoyed me um, is Tegan, the Doctor asks Tegan how she's doing, and Tegan goes, what do you care? It's been 38 years. Forgetting the fact that she walked out on the doctor. And she's <laughs> acting now as if it was the other way around. And the doctor doesn't say anything. I thought that was uh, either it was a rare continuity blunder in an episode that has a continuity reference for every classic series episode ever. Or it was just uh, lazy writing on the part well, of the doctor's character. Because that could have been a longer exchange. It could, but she did come back. Never forget, she did turn back, didn't she? At the very end of she had second thoughts at the end of Resurrection. The Doctor didn't know it, but she exactly. did have second thoughts. So yeah, I guess there's, there's, and it's yeah, it is a case of look, what's going to give a good emotional hit here, isn't it? Because I remember being really upset when Sarah came back and and had been unhappy. It's like I don't want to find out that Sarah's been unhappy. But then it all suited the story. She had to have somewhere to come back from. Yeah. Oh, and jumping back to the books for a moment, this was an episode of Trap One that Mark and I did several years ago about the execrable novelization of Resurrection of the Daleks. It decanonizes the end of that novelization where Eric Sayward has Tegan turn into a possibly Dalek clone superhero. That's all now by the boards, thank goodness. <laughs> so that is Sophie Aldred's book, of course, where she meets the 13th Doctor as well, which is a very recent BBC book. But she's got to write another book now explaining how she's got... Um... 
uh, actually had a memory wiped. Yeah. <laughs> There's always, you can just crowbar something in if you try hard Well, the other sort of uh, piece of continuity that I was hoping might be in there was that thing that Russell T. Davis wrote during lockdown where it was Sarah Jane's funeral and Ace mm. ended up taking K9 home, which it's possible that that still happened and K9 just wasn't in this episode and doesn't get mentioned. I'd like to think so because uh, I like the idea of Ace and K9 <laughs> having adventures together, basically. But she's put him in a cupboard like Sarah did. Yeah. And I think Keegan and Nissa were expressly stated to be a couple in that RTD piece, and that was also not a thing here either. There was no reference to Nissa. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that was um, uh, the, what's in Luke as an unreliable narrator, assuming that they were a couple because they were bickering so much or something. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed one, one thing that came across nicer on screen. I don't know, it, it, in the trailer, that bit, that little dialogue exchange that we use for these two, for those two, um, it's been four decades or oh, three decades for me, seemed off to my ear and that happens a lot this era with, with the dialogue and um but um just to my personal taste but um but there was a it's because it had been it had been clipped because in 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 this in the full episode um tegan says it's been four decades and then he says all right show off it's only been three decades for me and that and, and the all right show off in between those two comments makes it work because you really because ace is um sort of teasing tegan and that, and that shows mm. that they've got a rapport together whereas in the trailer just it's been four decades it's only been three decades it was just a strange uh, bit of um uh verbalizing of words with naturalness like what i'm not doing now myself <laughs> I felt really sorry for Dan when they dropped him off and obviously forgotten that his house had been shrunk in yeah. the uh, the Halloween apocalypse. And it made me think about when Amy and Rory got a, a brand new house bought for them and a car. <laughs> Don, Donna got a lottery ticket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dan just gets um, a gap. Yeah, just basically probably still just owns the title and, and somehow needs to get like a self-build mortgage in place. <laughs> It was quite nice the way that him and Yaz had their final moment together, because of course he he travelled the world with Yaz for years. He's only he only knew the Doctor for about six weeks. Um, that wasn't mentioned, but I guess that, I, I I I felt that was being implied as being deliberate, and it let Jodie mm. have that conversation with the traitor Dalek in the TARDIS. It was, it was a very sweet conversation for Yaz, and mm. then when the when he says I'll call you, and she says I'll ghost you, I thought that was very yeah, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> My problem is they were building up to the return of Di, and Dan has his famous Skype call with Di at the very end of Legend of the Sea Devils. I had just watched Legend of the Sea Devils the night before, because I am now finished with my Doctor Who pilgrimage. It took me two years to get from Unearthly Child through Power of the Doctor, and I managed to time it so that I ended literally right on time. But they tease at the end of Sea Devils that Di and Dan are going to have their date, at the beginning of the episode, he goes off to join their date, and we never hear from Di again, not even at the end, not even a hint whether they've gotten together or not. Why couldn't they give Dan that happy ending? And if this was shot directly after Legend of the Sea Devils, why couldn't Diane do a cameo? So I was hoping to hear more on that score, because it goes all the way back to Dan's first appearance, and instead, it's a big dangling question mark. Which way around is back? Get? At first, on my first watch through, I was like, this is, why is he just randomly there? There is actually, a lot of things that feel like they're unaddressed plot points are actually 
mentioned by somebody yelling a bit of exposition during a noisy effect uh, mm -hmm. that you may or may not catch. Um, but then a lot of but a lot of them aren't. But 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 he he did at least mention to whoever he's talking to that he's um uh, that he was on the trail of the. the Quarunx uh, as, as, as well. So they, he did actually have a reason for converging there within so why his would, character. Why was he on the trail of the Quarunx? Who sent him on that mission? I read on a different blog that this was supposed to be John Barrowman returning. Mm -hmm. And of course, John Barrowman is now rightfully persona non grata. So they brought in Vinder as a replacement. The Doctor makes a passing reference to Vinder's family, but we don't get to see Carvanista again. So Carvanista now doesn't get a final episode. We didn't get to see Bell again, even though Thaddeogram was amazing. And we never find out if Tigmi, uh, the, the baby, was actually born or what Tigmi is oh. doing now. We didn't see that little baby yeah. monitor with the emojis. The de so the debates a couple, of, whether... a couple of sentences might have uh, wrapped up <laughs> Vinder's story arc, and instead he's on a mysterious mission, and uh, we never find out about these other characters that we got an emotional attachment to during Flux. That was one of the things I wondered, the, the child at the start in, on the train, it did occur to me, uh, I felt like it was misdirect as to whether it was a timeless child, but then it also occurred to me whether, was whether it could have been uh, Bell and v Vinda's child as well. True. But I think you're absolutely right, Pete, in terms of, of this episode in particular, it really rewards a rewatch because there's so much going on in this and and you're sort of laughing with delight or humor a lot of the time as well and you, and you keep missing little bits and pieces but i was the same i hadn't picked up why vinda was there at all but like you say he's doing his uh sort of captain's log thing like he was doing when we first met him in this isn't he and he explains that he's he's on the trail of the missing quaronks as well mm. so tegan decides to stay behind and defend unit hq from cybermen and ace has a hero moment with a parachute why does the TARDIS materialize to catch her? Yaz wasn't trying to do that. Did Yaz just accidentally materialize the TARDIS on its side with its door open for Ace to fall into? Yeah, I, I thought that TARDIS was giving Yaz a bit of help because she says something like TARDIS lock on to that signal and that kind of thing, doesn't she? So, And I wasn't too... How did you feel about... Everyone feel about Yaz piloting the TARDIS? I thought with she, with all of the post-it notes, which I think she'd assembled in the previous story, hadn't she, in, in the previous New Year special trying to figure it out. Yeah, that was something I picked up on on the second rewatch as well. I hadn't thought about that, but it, yeah, it is that second year special, isn't it, where they've got the other TARDIS that ends up being a trap for the Daleks where she's put post-it notes all over it and things. But that felt very 80s, the companion flying the TARDIS, as a lot of this story felt very 80s, including having the Master's TARDIS, which is a different colour <laughs> control room to the Doctor's one, which I absolutely love because I love seeing the inside of the TARDISes. And uh, that that was uh, that was a nice eighties touch as well, like when we saw the uh, the master of the Rani started. Nice one. And then um, we're off to Unit HQ, where the Doctor's got uh, being reunited with uh, well two new freelancers. Um, how was that interaction for you? And then and then the reveal of um, the Master's um, what he's been up to with the paintings. How was that for you guys? I have a correspondence piece later on because Conrad you gave me the assignment of interpreting the master's scheme so I'll be talking about those 15 works of art and uh, you'll hear my thoughts about that when I get to the master's very elegant simple and streamlined plan to destroy earth and the doctor at the same time so I'll come back to the paintings I've already talked about uh, Tegan's exchange with with the doctor which I found 
a little less than satisfying. I like the idea that Kate Stewart, because she was originally the unit's scientific advisor, and at some point the continuity morphed, and now she is the head of unit full stop. I like that she got funding. Whatever the grand serpent in has now gone away, and she has unit back, and she has a nice new fancy HQ, uh, which is very tastefully decorated out of the latest anthology catalog. So that, that was very nice to see. And unit has a new logo as well, having based the Trap One logo on the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was the current unit logo? They've got a fancy new logo as well. But that building, the unit HQ in the trailer, I thought that was like the Chrysler building or something. It looks a particular like kind of uh, an American 1930s building, doesn't American it? Art it, Deco. It, it doesn't uh, look like. Saw, but yeah, we talked about that on the trailer Trap One episode last week. But no, it turned out to be just some random building in what is presumably mm-hmm. London. I have to say, I find it quite funny when they, um, when sorry, Kate was showing, was very seriously saying this assignment about all these uh, paintings that have gone missing. And as she scrolled through each, first of all, with Mona Lisa was the ma- as the master. And then as she kept flicking through the yes. pictures, we were just laughing yeah. and laughing. Like, it was really hilarious. It was just, it was really, really, and I was like, that's very, very good doctor, sort of very doctor who sort of thing. Like, there's very serious problem going on. And it's been completely ludicrous. And it got more ridiculous with each one. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, and I think smart. that's a deliberate nod to the the master's face becoming everyone's face. The previous time, there's quite a few service things, isn't there? Like that, like all all of them around the console later, and the school reunion moment where where the doctor first meets them, and you know, these are my exes moment. Um, I it did feel like it was doing its bit to pay homage to favorite moments from the new series. Because did they when they, I've seen rumors that when they were making that this was being shot before Russell T Davis's return had been confirmed, and they really didn't know that the that this this could have been the last episode for a long time when they were making it. And if is that have other people heard that? I think I've seen yeah reports that is it Matt Stevens was talking mm. about this oh, at yeah, convention. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, so so it it really could have been a another yeah. somewhere else. The tea is going cold. Uh, ending that they were heading for, um, but we'll get to the ending when we get to the ending. Obviously, um, I, I one bit I I'd loved Tegan Tegan turning around and going back. Um, so so yeah, my, I know my my mission was to talk about Tegan particularly, and I and I've not done anything remotely coherent about it. I've just got lots of Tegan thoughts, but um, but one in particular I I love when she uh, when she nips through the door and the doors are slamming really fast behind her or in front of her. They um, it's very reminiscent of the doors on the Earthshock freighter, uh, I, and the bit where Adric nips through the door and it slams, sealing him in, and she nips through the door to, back to Kate, and the door slams down, sealing her in. Um, although there was one shot on the roof, uh, she, which was a bit, mm, she steps through the door, walking away from us, and then the camera cuts and she stood behind the door facing us and the door closes and there was no way she had time to turn around. Um, that, that was just a little edit, edit that, that jumped out at me a little bit, but, uh, but these things happen. And yeah, she's obviously developed, although I know in the, at the end of the Resurrection novel, I can't remember it too vividly, but yeah, she, doesn't she start jumping across buildings or something? Or am I mixing? She them? jumps off Tower Bridge onto a barge yeah. and floats away as the uh, well, policemen are after her. So no wonder descending a lift shaft yeah, causes no danger to her. <laughs> that is actually accidentally canalized. <laughs> I think yeah, I was going to say that because it's not clear how she survived that oh, sheer she's plunge. Just, she's just brushing her knees as she emerges from the bottom of it. Like, whew, yeah. that was a close one. I thought she had the Good parachute. Job. All those egg boxes were there. Did yeah, she have the parachute that Ace had given her? No, she threw the parachute. Yeah. No, she threw it to one side when she came back oh, into so the room. Maybe what where I Kate said was. about Eric Sayward's epilogue so being decanonized. She... Maybe I was wrong. Maybe she really is superhero Tegan. Oh, she doesn't Lord. like to. 
She must be because like a, like just a free fall drop is like 120 miles an hour, isn't it? So even <laughs> yeah. if she is able to uh, re grab the ladder, <laughs> air hostess painful, training. They've just got skill. <laughs> Never leaves. <Yeah. laughs> that was the best line in the episode that was not delivered by Sasha Dewan or Sasha Devon, depending on how you uh, pronounce it. I've heard it both ways. But I, I wrote down my four favorite quotes from the episode. Three were the masters, and the fourth was Tegan's. And I'm not going to do the Australian accent. I was an air hostess in the early 80s, and compared to that, trust me, a building full of Cybermen is nothing. That's a great line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's from, come blazing back into the character that, by that point. I think my favorite Tegan and most Tegan bit was when she goes into the TARDIS and says... Uh, uh, yes, I do want to go into the TARDIS. <laughs> that, that that was the most like the 80s Tegan she was, and there uh, sort of flounces past the Doctor through the door. That was great. Brilliant. And then they all get an invitation to um, a keynote speech of, of the Masters at the Seismology Conference. So what do you guys think? This Is this the Master before or after? And it must be before, mustn't it? Because we, we see him die as as the uh, Rasputin. So he hasn't got the beard, basically, no. in the modern day, has he? And the other thing, he's got brown eyes, and as Rasputin, he's got blue eyes. So it's not really a period of history I'm that familiar with, but did Rasputin famously have blue eyes or something? Was that the reason for that? I addressed that a little bit in my correspondence piece about the Master's elegant, streamlined, one-step plan for world domination, but... This might be a reference to the novelization of the demons where Barry Letts establishes that the master's eyes change color when he's hypnotizing somebody. So that could have been a slight callback to a Doctor oh. Who novelization. And if, I'm sorry, but you've got, and, and that's a very good point. And we've got to remember that the King's Demons has demonstrated his ability to completely change his face by the appearance of facial hair with a um, with the Venetian blind effect. Uh, so I guess, yeah, because at one point it's like, is the master operating, uh, is this master operating in two separate time zones at the same time? But he isn't, is he? He's just, he's just teleporting back and forth. It's actually linear as, as our narrative takes us. Because uh, when he escapes from units, and then we we next, as you, like you're saying, when we next see him back in in St. Petersburg, he's Rasputin again for the musical bit. Uh, but I think he ha- he has just zapped himself there with his um, little box of tricks, TCE, all all encompassing time teleporter, as it now is. There's a reference to the master using his TARDIS to create a spatio-temporal shift. So if you take that literally, spatio-temporal, he has the ability to zap back and forth between 1916 and 2022. I, I love the yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love the way that in a previous in previous eras of Doctor Who, the idea that a planet appeared in the sky in the nineteen teens w- would have to have then been addressed and retconned and explained and all. But but and, and I mean Russell T Davis was doing it. You know, oh yeah, there's all these planets in the sky. It's going to be another um, uh, or, or Cyber King stomping about. Although that did get explained, didn't it? A lot of that disappeared into Amy's crack. That, that, that there was a line in one, so to speak, there was a line in one story that did explain that the Amy's crack had, had erased a lot of things from history that people might have commented on. So mm. maybe it did this as well, retrospectively, or no, the opposite of retrospectively. Um, and actually, my favourite bit of the entire story, I've got to say, was uh, when he appears on the of the video screen and points out to them that that little toy is behind them and that the tissue compression image can be reversed. And when that little toy just started to kind of shoot up like that, I just got a 
total the sort of total feeling I used to get of watching Doctor Who when I was a kid of that kind of weird uncanny everyday inanimate object doing something weird I just had a kind of like really deep flashback of like of I was like oh yeah I remember this feeling and that just in that instance I was just like everything just goes a bit sideways and it's just a bit weird and childish and sort of the perspective goes a bit weird I really loved yeah, that. it was great and 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 a, a shad's cyber rampage around. In a way, I, it, I, I think if it had just been him, it would have been fine. If it had just been him rampaging around the unit building, didn't really need all the other cybermen there too. But it's a it's a nod back to the what's it Dalek thing, isn't it? From the tenant one, um, the Dalek. They were they always out of the Dalek. Um, mm. I guess when now when he says that the, the yeah now when he says that the TCE can also now reverse. I wonder if it's not specified, but maybe he only means inanimate objects like a dummy of a Cyberman that's got real Cybermen inside it. Because otherwise, why didn't the Doctor take it and bring back all of the um, all, all of the vul- vul- Vulcanologists? Or anti-Vanessa um, is locked inside an evidence box in the Metropolitan Police headquarters since 1981. <laughs> why can't they just reverse and bring anti-Vanessa back? Yes. So they, did, they did reference her in the episode, so in my headcanon, anti-Vanessa is now back. I assume off-screen business. I assume the shrinking process is fatal. So even if you reversed it, you would just have a life-size corpse. But it wasn't fatal to Ashad, who had, uh, you know, a surviving organic component. No, it was. He'd been cloned. So the original Ashad. Those moments with the master, like where he he says to Tegan about Aunt, Aunt Vanessa, do you have her in a little doll's house and stuff? It's good to undercut how funny he is. Like you say, he gets a lot of the funny lines through this episode, but then lines like that remind you how kind of evil and cruel he is as well. And and he goes really broad Yorkshire in that scene as well, which is weird. Because when he says to Ace, you're Machiavellian maestro, I, I rewound that like three times to make that line out. Uh, and I put the subtitles on in the end. Because uh, I, I, I really struggled to make it out. He plays five versions of uh, of the character because he is playing the the Sasha Devon Master, but he's also playing Rasputin as Rasputin. He's playing Rasputin as the Master. He's playing the eccentric seismology professor, and then later on, he's playing the Fourteenth Doctor. So he's playing five characters in an eighty-seven minute episode. You have to applaud what range. And intensity he has I'm not going to say this is the best performance by a master ever because we have three seasons of Roger Delgado in the archives but it's an incredibly incredibly nuanced performance one of the best things about the episode for sure got to give major props to Sacha Devon for doing all that so we asked Jason to keep track of the master thread of the plot and as the legal professional he is he has come up with a forensic seven minute detailed deep dive into every aspect of the master's plan and after that mark tools up and goes dalek hunting peoples of the universe please attend carefully the message that follows is vital to the future of you all the master's plan is mind-bogglingly simple really now the doctor has a line (laughs) do i win a prize if i figure out who all this fits together or are you just going to tell me why you're grandstanding? Now, that's the doctor showing off. It does not take a PhD in old high Gallifreyan to figure out what the master was doing and why. First, he upgrades the tissue compression eliminator to allow it to work in reverse. 
Then he cloned the miniaturized Ashad and turned one of the two Ashadlets into a Trojan horse slash Genesis arc in which he stored multiple Cybermen. He then stalks Tegan for 38 years between 1984 and 2022, and he locates her Airbnb rental cabin in Romania in order to mail her the miniaturized Genesis Arc Ashad. Then he makes a deal with the Daleks to build underground bases beneath every major volcanic system on Earth, including, of course, the famous volcanoes in the Carpathian Mountains, in order to lure the 12 most famous seismologists on Earth to Romania near Tegan's cabin. So, all right, that's the plan so far. I'm going to take a break, and I want to make sure that all four of us are on the same page. So at the count of three, I want all three of you, Pete, Mark, and my darling Conrad, when I say go, you're going to shout out the name of your favorite professional seismologist. Three, two, one, go! <laughs> Torvald Huntsman's I'm out there. very impressed with that. I was not expecting even one answer. <laughs> But that wasn't so hard. That wasn't so hard. So... <laughs> Maybe a, a Jim Cantori from the Weather Channel here in the States. He's more of a hurricaneologist. All right. So then the master captures and kills all these celebrity seismologists, and he rents a hotel conference space in Naples near Mount Vesuvius in order to hold a lecture on the volcanic activity for the benefit of the dead seismologists, as you do. Now, he travels into London, and he infiltrates himself into Kate Stewart's new unit HQ. He hides a personal transmat remote control device inside the prison cell block, which, considering how snazzy and high-tech the rest of the new unit HQ is, even the control systems in the basement, and he tastefully designed fire escape ladders in the walls, painted in colors you might find in an anthropology catalog. The cell block is distressingly old, with damp floors and peeling paint. Now, the master also tracks down Kate's family tree in order to realize that her father is that idiot who thought Omega's castle was in Cromer. Then, he goes back in time to 1916, and he spends months, if not years, pretending to be Rasputin. Or maybe he really was Rasputin. At any rate, Rasputin is supposed to be killed in December 2016. We remember the third doctor was there for Rasputin's death, along with Liz Shaw and Joe Grant in the BBC book's past doctor adventure, The Wages of Sin. So either the real Rasputin escapes, escapes, escapes captivity and dies. I'll say that again. So, either the real Rasputin escapes captivity and dies, or the dying master at the end of the story, still dressed as Rasputin, returns to December 1916 and is murdered there. But not before Tom Baker plays a Sacha Dewan-inspired Rasputin in the movie Nicholas in Alexandra. While still a Rasputin, the master manages to alter every famous painting in Earth's history, including the Mona Lisa, which the Doctor had already defaced in 1505 Florence. But the changes aren't noticed until 2022. The master also takes up lessons to learn how to dance the Kazatsky. And he brings back with him from 2022 an MP3 of Boney M's disco classic Rasputin. And he hooks up seriously hi-fi audio speakers in 1916 to play the song, which hopefully he remembers to remove before leaving 1916 for good, because that could seriously alter the fabric of history. Then... The master learns that an ultra-rare, super-powerful Korunks just happens to be kept in the cargo hold of a random bullet train in space. 
with Brad Pitt not available to steal the cargo from the bullet train, he sends the Cybermen to steal the Koronks. He then imprisons the Koronks on some moon and transforms the moon into metal so the Cybermen can use it to mass convert humanity in the year 1916, although this clearly doesn't work because instead they have to wait until 2022 to start converting humans in the unit HQ sub-basement, the one tastefully furnished in anthropology decor. So, with the Koronks in place on the moon in 1916, and with the Daleks in place under the volcanoes in 2022, and with Tegan being given a Trojan horse Genesis arc, and set on the trail of those famous seismologists in Romania, the Master returns to his hotel in Vesuvius, and he hijacks Kate's slideshow of famous paintings in order to insert his video invite MP4. He then gets himself captured on purpose to work himself into the unit HQ cell, where he's previously hidden a transmat device under a piece of glass, so that the Genesis Ark Ashad clone can rescue him. But, before that, he hijacks the CCTV camera in the cell block so that he can see who's watching him on the other end of the camera, and he manages to taunt Tegan and Ace that way, even though that is not how CCTV cameras are supposed to work. He then escapes the cell block, and his personal transmat device magically dispenses Rasputin costumes and beards, so he goes back to St. Petersburg in 1916. Now, he's kept all this Time Lord tech from the destruction of Gallifrey, but without the Eye of Harmony to power it, he needs the Korong's energy. Good job he thought of that already. To power the Doctor's force regenerating into him. Now, of course, with the Cybermen in 1916 and the Alex in 2022 and the Earth about to be destroyed, he doesn't need to force regenerate himself into the Doctor, but he also wants to besmirch her good name for all time. So he takes time out of this super simple scheme to visit two random unnamed twin planets in the middle of interplanetary, global, thermonuclear war, so he can tell one flying news camera drone, which just happens to be doing a remote segment on an uninhabited asteroid that conveniently has breathable atmosphere, that he's the doctor and he caused that war. But before that, he travels back to 1981 and visits your favorite bookshop, and he buys a Randy and Jean-Marc Lefissier program guide in order to memorize the titles of all the doctor's past <laughs> adventures. So he can come up with a really good The Master's Dalek Plan <laughs> joke first, because priorities. Now, the Master's plan does not count on Tegan being able to climb narrow ladders and high heels at age 60. His plan does not count on Ace being a fine arts expert. His plan does not count on Vinder being hired to find the missing Koroks. His plan does not count on the fact that having told every element of his plan to the Doctor and four different companions, Yaz, Tegan, Ace, Vinder, he doesn't count on them trying to band together to stop him. But, other than that, Conrad, this is the most elegant, clear-cut, basic one-step plan in the world, and I'm not sure this why why this wasn't as obvious to all of y'all as it was to me. That was an elevator pitch. <laughs> it was a very tall building. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why he didn't just bust out Khalid. I mean, that is just that's that's you know that's the go-to plan. That was magnificent. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> You're welcome. And scene. <laughs> Small human female sighted on level three. What are you calling small? Under a under a but then Mark, Ace turns up on this planet, um, f- complete with jacket, baseball bat, and Nitro Nine. That's 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 happy days for you. 
<laughs> it's perfect, isn't it? It's perfect because Ace gets a rematch against the Cybermen and the Daleks. So it's we're reliving Silver Nemesis and Remembrance of the Daleks, <laughs> which is absolutely fantastic. If she'd had her catapult with uh, in in her jacket, it's the only thing that could have made it better for me. <laughs> uh, if she'd uh, if she'd started sort of firing some uh, some gold pellets around as well. Uh, no, I absolutely love that, and the fact that she uh, she's still got the same baseball bat, um, which I mean you would keep hold of, obviously, because it's uh, it's always pretty handy. And I like the um, the line about Beyonce as well, which um, my wife explained to me. <laughs> yeah, I had to Google that. <laughs> it wasn't the single didn't go top ten in the UK, apparently. Ah, right. Yeah, it's uh, it's lemonading uh, if you uh, if you start swinging a baseball bat <laughs> around nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> I think her and Graham made a really good combination, both being um, Londoners to a certain extent, or Southerners anyway. Uh, and then, but then my brain yeah. went to the strange place of, hang on, how old are these characters the same age as each other? Because Sophie Aldred is ten years older, older than Ace, and Graham is, uh, and Bradley Walsh is ten years younger than Graham. I think I remember that being said that they'd aged him up a bit. Um, and, and yeah, I spent a moment just trying to ponder that, and then realised it didn't matter. But it was slightly confusing. <laughs> did, 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 were these people? Could they have been at school together? <laughs> or, uh, and I, I loved his little bit with the. I thought some people. I know people have said it. Uh, they didn't like the fact that it wasn't explained how he got to the volcano. But I thought hey, there he is. He's waving the psychic paper around. We, we know the last time we mm. saw him, he was off to try and have some adventures despite having said that not wanting adventures anymore was why he was leaving. But he did say he was, he was off to, to investigate things. So we knew, we, we know, we know why he was there, if not how. Yeah. And I think the, the kind of the underlying moral of the story is that, you know, the power of the doctor is to inspire people, isn't it? So, you know, he would have, he would have well, found it's twofold. Way the power of the doctor is to inspire her friends and to implant them with uh, non-consensual electronic bugging devices that can't speak to their brains. <laughs> but those are the two powers of the doctor. Yeah, which is, which is definitely something we should talk about while we've got time, because they were my favorite scenes uh, of, uh, Janet Field and Peter Davison and Sophie Aldred and Sylvester McCoy, which, yeah, both both of them had uh, gave me a lump in my throat. Absolutely fantastic. And Jodie Whittaker and David them. Bradley. I loved, loved, loved David Bradley coming back one last mm. time. And, and presumably Tegan, Ace and Yaz have those implants permanently. So for any, uh, any future <laughs> appearances in spin-off media or anything like that, they can have a hologram version of their doctor with them as but well. But the master didn't get uh, the implant, I don't think. So how did he have the ability to see the uh, fugitive doctor? Unless he was given an implant and I missed it. That, that was the, yeah, something that, that did bother me slightly was, I didn't really think about that actually in terms of who yeah, can see the hologram because Vinda can see mm. the hologram aboard the TARDIS as well, can't he? So I assume it's just if somebody in the vicinity is wearing the implant that it projects. It's a, it's a, it's a Wi-Fi implant. It's broadcasting, yeah. Yeah, but I didn't... Why the Fugitive Doctor didn't look like a hologram like all the rest of them did, they were a bit sort of Obi-Wan Kenobi, weren't they? They were a bit sort of black and white and see-through, whereas she was in full colour and, uh, and didn't flicker or anything until the end. So it felt like a little bit of a cheat. I love the fact that Graham couldn't get the psychic paper yeah. to work properly, and he's trying to call himself Arnold Palmer, and Arnold Palmerson, 
and then Ace sees right through it. Oh, you're Graham. You're a friend of the Doctor. That was that was very funny. Yeah. It was, a, it was a funny. It was a funny script for the most part. There were some really good lines. Most of them belonging to the master, but it was it was a witty script, and that's important. You have to have wit. It, can, it carries it. It can carry a lot of them, particularly when mm. it's a a, a, a a runaway train of a of a story like this one. Uh, yeah, that, that can carry. The only thing I wanted, the only thing I, uh, I, I, I like you guys, I, I love those scenes. I just wanted, I, I had a little pang for something more where, um, when, when Tegan said Adric, I guess I got that, that pang, but then I, I wanted a lot, I wanted something like, you know, he was so young or something like that. Cause I'm just, I was just picturing 90% of viewers going, what's an Adric? Who's got an Adric? What does, cause the, it doesn't, people might not even know that it was a name. Um, I want, well, I have helpfully, I have helpfully prepared a list of every classic series yeah. episode that was referenced oh, in The Power of the Doctor. Now, bearing in mind, the best episodes of the classic series have virtually no continuity references. The Pyramids of Mars does not contain a clever meta-reference to Carnival of Monsters. Legopolis mentions Potter's Yard, it but it's not... Death to the Daleks, Sorry? though. Does it? It references Death to the Daleks. Robert Holmes' own script, right? But most stories in the classic series do not rely on an encyclopedic knowledge of what has come before. Maybe one or two references. You can understand Legopolis without the reference to Totter's Yard, for example. But here are the list, and this is an incomplete list. This is only what I saw yesterday on my second viewing. There's probably more. Dalek Invasion of Earth, the Daleks and Volcanoes, the Daleks Master Plan, the pun we mentioned earlier, also the episode Volcano in that story. The moon base, the way the Cybermen are propelled off the roof of the train. Tomb of the Cybermen, the doctor says, nobody else got to be us. Nobody else got to live our days. Nobody. Hmm. Very much like Troughton's speech to Victoria. The web of fear, the master on the, at, on the, the, master on the airless asteroid with breathable air playing the sky boat song on the recorder. The war games, the doctor being forced to regenerate it. John Pertwee's song, I am the doctor because the master says, I am the doctor and you will obey me. The, the time monster. I thought that the blossomiest blossom reference at the end was a quote on the daisiest daisy. It turns out it's a quote that Dennis Potter gave in his last interview. Uh, so I didn't that's, know that. Yeah, I, I thought it was a reference to the time. We branched out of our um, out of our bubble. <laughs> uh, the Who Corner to Corner podcast mentioned that somebody posted a link to this 1994 Dennis Potter interview. The Three Doctors is referenced because seven and eight are bickering with one another the way that two and three bicker with one another in the Three Doctors. Genesis of the Daleks. The Dalek says, we have lost the right to survive, which is what Davros says to the Kalid scientists. Also a reference to Davros, your creator. The Hand of Fear. Yaz drops everyone off at Croydon. The Pirate Planet. That's the cave location for the Daleks underground volcano was filmed in the same caves as the Pirate Planet. Nicholas Pegg put that up on Twitter. City of Death. Mona Lisa. There's a stealth quote to Meglos when the doctor is repairing Vinder's ship. She says, repairs complete, in the same way that K-9 says, thank you, mistress, repairs complete. Legopolis, the reference to Auntie Vanessa, the cloister bell, the master saying, I'd hate to bring you down to size. Earthshock, not only Adric, but also the Cyberman sound effects when they're killed in the, in the, in the, in the first minute. It's the same sound effect from Earthshock when the Cybermen are dying. Resurrection of the Daleks, Tegan's 38 Years line, Dragonfire, Ace's Nitro Nine Timers, and Ace's Metal Rope Ladder, Remembrance of the Daleks with the Aluminum Bat, and Ace talking about 1963, Silver Nemesis, the Cybermen and their gold allergy that Ace knows about, 
Curse of Fenric. The beach where the Doctor regenerates is further down the same beach in Dorset where Curse of Fenric was filmed. Survival. Last time I saw you, you were half cat. That, of course, is not quite the classic series, but is classic series adjacent, the TV movie, when the Master says, I get to dress for the occasion. So if you've seen all of those classic series stories, and if you recognized all those references, boy, you're some fan. I liked a couple of the meta references when Yaz says to the the master incarnation of the Doctor, "You're not my <laughs> yes. Doctor," which is uh, which is obviously quite meta. And she also mentions crowded Tardis as well, which everyone started talking about again when uh, you know when Chudnall casts three companions. So those kind of meta references are quite nice as well. It was a little bit of a uh, a nod to the well, not fans, I suppose, but the. <laughs> The NMDs, when maybe. I was at Galley, Gallifrey 1 in Los Angeles in February, I paid for the guest reception. And I talked about this on the Trap 1 episode with Adam Clegg, uh, summarizing uh, the Galley experience. Sacha Devon was at our table at the guest reception for five minutes. So I got five minutes of FaceTime with Sacha. He'd already filmed the episode, but of course it's ten months away from airing. He goes around the table and he asks every one of us what we think is going to happen in the centenary special. And I gave him my theory about uh, Joe Martin regenerating into David Bradley, which David Bradley showed up, but that, that didn't actually happen. And after he, we give him all of our theories and he fist bumps every one of us, he says, how would you like it if the doctor regenerated into me? What I didn't realize is that was a spoiler. He was giving it away 10 months in advance. Genius. Mad respect for Sasha yeah. Devon for so many reasons. But while it's a great idea to have the Doctor regenerate mid-story, what it means is for 25 minutes of story time, Jodie Whittaker is not in her own finale episode. She spends all that time on a green screen talking to five of her previous incarnations in a virtual space. And it's the same problem you have in The Timeless Children, where she spends half an hour of story time in front of a green screen being lectured to. It's the same problem in Survivors of the Flux, where she spends half an hour being lectured to by Tech Tayun. So the Doctor is not really a vital element for a huge chunk of her final story. Couldn't somebody finally have done right by Jodie by giving her a story where she is the two-fisted action yeah, hero who drives yeah. everything? See, to see her really go uh, pushed into a direction she's never gone before would have been really exciting. And I, 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 I do, yeah, I feel that it was a, a real strange... Uh, she's always felt... The whole thing about promoting her as the thirteenth Doctor, she's always she's always felt like one of the Doctors instead of the Doctor during her own era. And so many of her stories have been multi-Doctor stories um, that that she's never had that full on, apart from through, for, for her first series. But then, but, but as soon as you're beyond her first series, she's um, uh, she's obviously got the, uh, the the Fugitive Doctor, and then um, yeah, I I, I I just wish that. She'd got a real. I mean, she ultimately she did solve the thing. She linked up the two tardises and pressed a button and, and solved the. There was that scene. There's that scene where she's saying like, um, "I just need to somehow fix these two, connect what these two events are, and come up with a with a with a reason for why it's happened and how I can solve it." And I'm like, uh, "Chris Chibnall, are you just typing what you're actually thinking right now? Because that's literally you've got 15 <laughs> minutes left, and that's clearly what you're doing." Um, and 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 she did it. She pressed a button and and saved the world. But it wasn't. But that. But it still didn't feel like a yeah a, a big hero moment for her. But that said, 
uh, I've got a bit, so I'm, I'm not a fan of new series regenerations. Usually, uh, I, I famously, my teenage niece threw a cushion at me because I was heckling Matt Smith's regeneration speech one Christmas day. Uh, at, uh, like, get off. Um, so I, I don't like it when they move <laughs> to the front of the stage and start giving a leaving speech as if they've just, they're a, depart, a staff member who's leaving and thanking everybody who's worked with them over the years. It's not drama to me. It's like drama is people, is stuff happening to people. But I loved, I, I loved this. Sorry, am I, am I, am I leaping too far? But, but I, I, I thought this was one of the nicest, most original regeneration scenes that we've had. At ten minutes from fatal wound to actual regeneration, it was the fastest regeneration in the new series because it was only ten minutes. But she, she got, she got some wonderful last lines that all brought tears to my eyes. But. Every time she delivered her last words, she would deliver more last words 30 seconds later. So there were any number of lines I could have ended it. I, I like tag your ear. That's, that's going to wind up on a lot of t-shirts. The one line I didn't like was when she said, I don't get to find out what happens next. Because you do. You're just going to be in a different body. I don't like things that make out like it's a... A different person. I didn't like it when the tenth doctor said, "Oh, even if I regenerate, it's like a completely different person moving on." I, I like the things that that tie them together as one one character just moving into a different body with a different personality and a different kind of attitude and things. Because I know, I know people don't really like a lot of people don't like Matt Smith phoning Clara yep. in uh, Deep Breath. <laughs> we've, we've I really like that yeah. because um, be, be, because. It does very much tie, tie, he's the same person. He's saying, I'm the same person. I'm talking to you on the phone. I'm looking at you right now. Uh, and I like that. So yeah, I didn't really like the line of, you don't get to find out what's next. That is like an ending. That's like, well, I won't be here, but yeah, you will be here. But to go back to the uh, the uh, the Guardians of the Edge, um, I know what you mean there. I loved it because I love Time Worm Revelation. It was, uh, I remember reading that, New Adventure when I was like 12 or whatever and it's 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 probably the one I've read the most I've gone back to about three times so if anyone hasn't read it it's in the it's all set in the doctor's mind where her where their previous incarnations continue to live in little sort of um domains of uh, of the doctor's mind and it really really reminded me of that so so that was fantastic but I take your point that she could have had a mission while she was in there she could have had to achieve something or overcome something in order to Get back to her Paul body. McGann is so wonderful, and Sylvester McCoy is so wonderful. Colin gets a big moment. Peter Davis gets a couple of moments. David Bradley keeps showing up. David Bradley clutching the lapels of his robe and going, hmm? Almost made me lose it emotionally. And then I literally did lose it in the last three minutes when a particular returning companion shows up for, for, for a one-sentence cameo. We'll come back to that mm-hmm. in a few minutes. But I, yeah. even though it takes away from Jody's finale, I loved seeing those five Doctors again. Loved it. And they, they gave McCoy a line where he could roll his R as well. I think they gave him the line about forced regeneration <laughs> yes. as well, which is uh, I was very pleased with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Conrad, for you, what was it like seeing Paul McGann, who I believe was your doctor in Big Finish? What was it like seeing him on screen again? Yeah, every time you see Paul on screen, as as over the years, because I think it's this is the sixties, twenty years ago, I started doing that. So it's, wow. it's been a long time, and every time I see him, I think the same thing. 
you good looking bastard. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't, that man ages like a fine wine. He looks smashing, doesn't he? He just looks, but he's just like a little bit of crag, a little bit of sophistication, that lovely voice. Beautiful. Yeah. It's Everybody great else got old, but he is, he is growing into it very gracefully. We should all be so lucky. Yeah. He looks he's great. Great con- voice. Considerably yeah. older now than William Hartnell was in 63. <laughs> Oh, I remind him of that. And maybe I'll, I'll uh, I might just bring it up at the next uh, companion support group, perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> where were you? The uh, the first rule of companion support group is you don't talk about companion support group. <laughs> the WhatsApp group's a nightmare, but anyway, but they, but but that was you know we you know we've we've hopped to that bit. That wasn't like like the sort of uh, you know all the doctors being one go. Having all those companions in in one room was was a moment. All right, I I I I, I am a stoic, rugged individualist. I don't cry. When William Russell shows up and looks at the camera and goes, sorry, did you say her? I literally lost it. I just started bawling like a baby because William Russell was now in Doctor Who's very first episode and not only its most, what could have been its last episode if RTD hadn't swooped in. That is 59 years apart, filmed 58 years apart. Seeing him again and getting him to deliver a line of dialogue, I could not control myself. I'm not ashamed to admit it that's that was a probably my favorite moment of the piece and it was so painful i don't know if i can watch it again but that really worked for me yeah it has to be said like he's 97 years old and to have that link from the first ever episode right up to here is is just phenomenal i think somebody on somebody on twitter suggested that he might be one of the longest running characters on television i think he might have just beaten a major record that currently held by a coronation street alumni i believe and uh, the guinness book of records said they are looking into it so Ooh. fantastic it's the untold stories that are tantalizing as well isn't it like how did mel get back to earth from you know, traveling in the future with glitz and uh, we need to do a whole podcast about when Dragonfire is set because what if Dragonfire is actually set in 1987 and Renace was wrong and it wasn't a time storm? Mm. That would explain a lot. <laughs> right. But then, how is Bonnie? Lang- has, 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 does Melanie Bush really exist? It's Bonnie Langford. Pete, we literally saw her do an hour and a half of her cabaret of 50 years. She Bonnie exists. Lang- Melanie yeah. Bush is just an alias of Bonnie Langford. It was Bonnie Langford who had those adventures with the sixth and seventh Doctor herself under an alias. Uh, I really like the support group as a concept, and, and as a, and as a way, as a way of this being Yaz's leaving. You know, there's that quick, there's that mention that, that uh, um, Ryan and um, sorry, Ryan, no, that Dan and uh, and Graham had got their invites to it. Obviously, the Doctor had arranged all of this. Maybe in the future, has come back and arranged all of this so that when Yaz is dropped off, she's immediately got these people around her. It, was, it had all been set up for Yaz because the Doctor knows that Yaz. Yaz's feelings for her were much more important, much more significant maybe than others had been, and she really wanted her to be taken care of. Um, and so it wasn't it wasn't really just have an ice cream and off you go. Although because the doctor and we were repeatedly shown that the thirteenth doctor is terrible at talking to people about emotions and things, like when she says to Avinda, you know, have the family anyway, and doesn't let him answer. <laughs> um, that that's clearly a, a trait of hers. Uh, that she's terrible at talking about those sorts of things, but she does care, and that's why she set that group up for Yaz, I think. 
I wish that William Russell had gotten the scene with David Bradley. I wish Mel had more than one line. I wish that Joe, who was so wonderful in Death of the Doctor 10 years ago, the uh, RTD scripted Sarah Jane adventure, I wish they had all gotten more than one line, but just having them on screen. And there is a photograph, I posted it on my Twitter yesterday, of Jodie Whittaker came to that scene, and there's a photo of all of them together. Jodie and Ian and Bonnie and um, Katie, everybody. I want to have that framed. I want to have that photo signed by everybody. That is the greatest thing ever, that picture. Mm -hmm. That sort of thing. So it's all, all the first seven doctors, apart from the second doctor, represented. Yeah, it's there, a shame. Right? I think Annika was was was, got, was was down to come and couldn't make it at the last minute, which is a shame. Yeah. Tom Baker uh, was invited, but I don't think he was well yeah. enough to do it. Well, anyway, he, he he didn't come. Mm. He wasn't invited. Yeah. From what I read you never on Twitter. know, Tom, or it could just be a, a five doctors thing. Other doctors? He doesn't. <laughs> 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 what other? I remember him giving that answer once. You know, somebody said to me, "Who's my favorite of the other doctors?" My answer is other doctors. <laughs> uh, and you also can't top his appearance in yeah. the Day of the Doctor in 2013. So that perfect would be a, an inadequate yeah, follow-up. Curtain call. You can't come back. A little a little cameo after that would be. Uh, a downgrade. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the other thing we have mentioned is the costume that the master <sighs> changes into after he's uh, uh, after he's the, the, the doctor's regenerated into the master, which again I absolutely adore. Thirteen's jacket, five the... celery, seven sweater and tie, two's recorder, mm -hmm. one's pants. What else am I missing? Four scarf. I'm sure I'm missing some other stuff. I thought the question mark uh, lapel would have uh, that, that, that Peter Davison had that in, in his uh, video chat with Tegan. That. The fifth doctor had his question mark lapels. They're barely visible if you if you freeze frame it. Yeah, and I love the, uh, the 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 seventh doctor scene with Ace uh, when they're under the volcano when he talks about blowing things up. He says blowing things up is always wrong, uh, basically unless you have to, and it makes you think about him blowing up Scarrow, blowing up the Cyber Fleet, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> blowing up the Viking Circus. Yeah, I'm nearly getting taken yeah, with just, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you you know saying to Ace, you know, uh, do you got any of that? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, give us some nitro nine. You're not carrying. Uh, and, then, and because she's the one companion who never got a leaving scene, that made that did just give that so much more weight, didn't it? Yeah, yeah that was yeah that was lumping my throat time. Uh, yeah, seeing those two back together and uh... right then, Doctor, whoever I'm about to be, tag, you're it. At the end of the episode, we find ourselves standing high up on Durdle Door don't try this at home, uh, for the regeneration itself and some final thoughts about the episode. Uh, Jason, uh, let's start with you. So my friend Jan Fennick was on this show last week. She was on the Trap One trailer breakdown slash Power of the Doctor preview. And she is not really a fan of 10. And she said last week <laughs> what she doesn't want to see is to have 13 regenerate back into 10 and David Tennant mug at the camera and go, what, what, what? <laughs> you have this incredible gift in Shudi Gatwa being cast as the Doctor. You have an actor whose Instagram followers are more people than watch Legend of the Sea Devils. I just wanted to get right to him. Now, I understand that he's a very busy actor and he couldn't shoot right away. I can understand the logistics need to have an interim Doctor between Jody and Shudi. 
I don't have much emotional investment in David Tennant. He's already played 10.1 and 10.2. I'm not positive that we need David Tennant as 10.3. For an episode that looked back so much, I want a clean break. I want a new series. I want more storytelling and less continuity. Going back to David Tennant, regenerating into that a variation on his old pinstripe suit costume, which is now Tartan. Now, the Tartan was a nice touch, by the way. I'm not positive that going back to David Tennant for another turn is the best thing the series needs right now. It's more of RTD going back and doing a greatest hits rather than telling an exciting new story. Now, there is time for me to be wowed. We are still 13 months away from the next episode airing. But I would have loved to have gotten Shooty Gatwa instead of him getting one line in the trailer at the end of the episode. I didn't want to see David Tennant again. I agreed with Jan last week, and she was 100% right. He comes back, he mugs at the camera, he comically tugs on his face and goes, What? <laughs> what? What? So again, again, it's Doctor Who looking back, being conservative. I want forward-looking, I want new, less continuity, more storytelling, building more memories for the future. And thank you very much to Jason, who was joining us from his hotel room in Atlanta. Uh, Unfortunately, he's got to rejoin the mysterious seismology conference he was attending. But you can find him at the excellent Doctor Who Literature podcast and on Twitter at Doctor Who Novels. Now back to Pete and Mark, who are talking tenant. Yeah, I mean, he's not he's not my favourite, but um, I was kind of ready for him to go when he left. But I'm interested to see what he does coming back, as as I am with Russell T Davis, and uh, I think that there is more to it, isn't there? The fact that uh, yeah. his costumes changed, and I think the fact doesn't Russell T Davis say on a press release that he's the 14th Doctor and Shuri Gat was the 15th Doctor in a way yeah, that seemed a bit pointless that. to yeah. say that it's yeah. probably a misdirection. And um, oh, and I loved that in the end credits. Did you see it, it said and introducing yeah. David Tennant <laughs> as the Doctor? Which, when was that? That was started with uh, introducing yeah. John Hurt, wasn't it? <laughs> as the preview yeah. for um, uh, for the first appearance of the War Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, Pete, how were you on the last, on, on Jodie's last last words and last, how did you feel about her final last words? Because I think, didn't you say that that was, uh, I think that bit was probably shot afterwards, was added on, bolted on afterwards? Well, I don't know anymore. Yeah. So, but the rumor, and again, and maybe if you you were remembering um, Mark the Matt Stevens comment more clearly than I'm remembering it, I don't know. But the the hadn't didn't they call about? Didn't someone say it was great? Jodie came back and did some extra bits, even though she was heavily pregnant months later. Or am I just? I don't. I think I only only heard about the mm. comments secondhand. Just sort of read read some stuff on Twitter by somebody who'd been there. So I'm not sure about that. But I did think when the when the camera was panning away. Yeah. As the regeneration started, I did think, are we going to get to see who she changes into here? Because the way it's panning away seemed like it might just be a final shot, but then it, come, it sort of comes back round. So, yeah, I didn't know whether maybe they'd edge their bets and, uh, <laughs> and and just, you know, kind of film me doing this for a while with, <laughs> yeah. with their arms out. Yeah, just, just wave about a bit and do, do a track, go out like a trout. And, um, that, that could have been... That could have been the last the last shot uh, if if they weren't sure how long it was going to be till it came back again. Yeah, which is the original plan for the trial of the Time Lord as well, wasn't it? That they wanted to yeah. be a bit ambiguous, not with the regeneration. Actually, it was the Doctor and the Master sort of battling, wasn't it? Um, and and leave the yeah. outcome yeah. ambiguous. It felt I have to say, like I don't know about what actually happened, but I think from hearing 
um, just listening to Jodie talking about approaching filming her regeneration. She talks about her final scene. She talks about it all being done in one long take and breaking down and all that kind of stuff. She's basically describing the Yaz and the Doctor scene as her last scene. So I get the sense that probably it was bolted on when they knew what was going on and who mm. they were turning in her into and all of that sort of stuff. So I think that rings true to me um, because there is an ending of the Yaz and the Doctor and the TARDIS looking out one thing we haven't talked about enough in this episode uh is, is the, some of the camera work so just some of this just how good some of these shots look that's that shot of them sat atop, on top of the tardis it's just I, I would have that on a you know as a poster it was just such a beautiful such a beautiful summer summarization of uh, of the doctor and yaz as, as this awesome pair um easily on i think on they they, they just click together so well and and they're obviously Mm. the two actors are such good friends and have got such chemistry um that that was a beautifully shot moment and there was some other bits there's that scene where they rush into the tardis under a hail of cyberman gunfire when they first go to the the planet um and the camera follows them in through the doors and, and and we just charge into the console room from being on the outside of a planet uh, and and almost took it for granted i only really no, paid attention to it the second on my second watch through that hey, what the heck? they just did that they just ran off a planet all the way up to the yeah. console that's that's something when they did that in 30 30 years in the tardis was yeah. groundbreaking <laughs> wasn't it? it was it was sort of the first time we'd ever seen it and then it's easy to sort of become a bit blase about it now because they, they also do it the other way around, don't they? At the start, when the when the ladder rolls out of the TARDIS, you, the the camera follows the, the the ladder out as well. So yeah, the, the sort of things like that that um, that yeah would have absolutely blown your mind a few years ago. And now you're like, oh yeah, they've, <laughs> they've done that again. Yeah, but I agree that the shot when they sat on the TARDIS looking at the the planet Earth is absolutely stunning. And and I suppose if that had been a bit of a full stop in the series. Uh, you know, with the production uncertain, that the lines about how many times you think you've saved the Earth would have, uh, you know, would have been a bit of an encapsulation of the series up to that point as well. And and actually, when when it came back in two thousand five, that first shot is is the Earth from oh, orbit, isn't it? And then it zooms in. So I suppose that would that would have been a nice bookend as well, uh, had it been, yeah, had it been a bit of a. Yeah, I, I rushed. To, I, I took to Google straight away about that when the doctor says a wise person once told me, well, whatever it was, um, the cost of loving blah, blah blah, and and it's not. It didn't appear anywhere on the internet until people started referring it to it in this episode. So I suspect that's probably Chibnall quoting somebody who actually has said that to him for real. Would be my guess that that's something personal. I would guess that was oh, something I personal to him, was... unless it's something unless it's something I missed that I didn't find on Google. I. I didn't remember it, but from the context, I guess that it was something that Yaz had said to the doctor. But I guess, it, yeah, if, if it's not sort of, um, if there's no hits on Google, yeah, then it, no, 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 no hits prior to the episode going out. Yeah. So Jason's given us his overall summary of what he felt about the the episode, sort of in a nutshell. Um, Pete, can you give us a give us a summary of what you thought of Power of the Doctor? Um, I, I thought, as as I expected in the run up to to the conclusion of Flux, I thought it's going to be a it's going to be a bit of a mess. Is it going to be a, a hot mess or a cold mess? And it was, it was a hot mess. <laughs> it was, it was, it, it, all the stuff kept happening. All of the, every, every performer gave it their all. Uh, it didn't, and I wasn't bored at any point during it. And I say that because sometimes and action sequences can be boring if they're overdone and, and you don't care what's happening to these people. It wasn't, it, it, it I, I really wish that the doctor had been given more, 
peril more because the whole thing of the master stealing her it's like why didn't he could have just put a coat on why why did he have to steal her body i didn't quite understand what what was going but you know madcap master master stuff that's what that's what he does why did he dress up as khalid why was he a scarecrow in, in mark the rani uh we so yeah that's that's fine so yeah i mean i mean it it for me it it, it wasn't it's not a story that I'm ever going to say to anyone if you watch one Doctor Who story, watch this story. Whereas I would with something like The Five Doctors, even though The Five Doctors is a very atypical Doctor Who story. Uh, it, it, it just lands so many punches. But again, in that, you know, Peter Davison doesn't really get, the, the current Doctor doesn't get all that much to do in The Five Doctors um, compared to the others. But then it's not his swan song, so it doesn't matter as much. So doing make, making a, the Doctor's final story also a multi-Doctor story um mm. it, it is done at a cost but they thought they were potentially making the last ever episode of doctor who so i can see why they did all that so yeah i I'm, I'm, i think it's i think it's pretty good about you mark i absolutely love this story i think it's my favorite 13th doctor story it's my favorite new series regeneration story i it's yeah, and I'm probably shallow because I like all the sort of fan service and I like the uh, just the action and the, the the kind of just flashbang stuff. It's, I mean, the the kisses to the past, particularly to Seventh Doctor and Ace, you know, are always going to uh, make it score highly for me, definitely. But then, you know, the the the, the previous companions at the end and, and intercutting that with the with the Doctor's final moments as well, um, sort of you know restating. The doctor's importance, and it, you know, it's changed people, but but you know, also not always, yeah, positively, but also in a in a way that they do kind of need a bit of support. And uh, it's like that Neil Armstrong thing, isn't it? Where after being on the moon, that you know, nothing ever quite sort of lived up with it, up to it, sort of thing. And that would be the reality for people who had who had travelled with the doctor. Um, and I think you know, in terms of of Chibnall's previous series and and finales and things like that. I think this one worked better because it had a huge cast, but you didn't have everybody for most for the most part all in one place at the same time. Which I feel like a lot of Chibnall stories, you end up with a big group of people just sort of <laughs> moving around together. Um, so you you had you know while <clears throat> Ace and Tegan were doing one thing, you had Kate doing something else. But then Kate was with Tegan and Ace was with Graham. Everything. Was 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 all happening all at the same time, but but each of the different strands were as important and interesting and entertaining as each other. So when one th- when you move to someone else, you think, oh yeah, God, yeah, Ace, uh, Kate's about to be converted, or uh, you know, Ace is going to face the Daleks and all that sort of stuff as well. So I think the sheer level of stuff that was going on didn't really give you time to stop and overanalyze on the first watch, particularly to to, to overanalyze it at all or analyze it, you know, in any way. Um, it's it definitely, as I said before, rewards multiple viewings because I picked up loads more on the second go. Um, yeah, and I think it is going to be for me like a Five Doctors Day of the Doctor kind of just joyous rewatch. I'm seeing Sophie Aldred at an event on Saturday as oh, well. Brilliant. So I'm very much looking forward to that and uh, hearing some behind the scenes stories. Yeah, is that the first, obviously, the first since it went out. This is at the Museum of Classic Sci Fi in Allendale. The, there's an event over there on Saturday, which I'm going to with Keith and uh, Graham Harper's there as well. So, yeah, should be should be a good day. I think it's, uh, I think the 
I can't remember the guy's name who's got the museum, but he's got a Triffid from the BBC Day of the Triffid. So I think it's a bit of an event while he <laughs> unveils his Triffid. Uh, <laughs> not euphemism. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it's a couple of special guests. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great place to visit. Well, thank you very much for joining us for this special episode of Trap One. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, listen out for the Trap One flashcast about diamond logos and the future of Doctor Who on Disney+. Plus. But from all of us here, goodbye. 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 Well, here we go again. <laughs>